going on, guys? 360 Digital Closing Bell here. I am your humble, humble correspondent, Michael Tanner, for an undisclosed location here in Denver, coming to you for our, on May 1st here before the market opens. If you're listening to this, it is Friday, like I said, May 5th, right before the market opens. We are recording this Thursday afternoon. As always, I am joined by the purveyor of this show, the executive producer and the director of Oil and Gas 360, Stuart Turley. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. It's a beautiful day in Dallas, and uh, we're open. That's good. That's really great to hear. It's actually a little overcast here in Denver. It's about actually 11.45 uh, mountain time to kind of give you an idea. So if obviously there's any news things that happen between now and when you hear this, we will obviously update you. But just, you know, like I said, I always like to do a little inside baseball, let people know how the, uh, how, how, how the behind the scenes work. Cause I've always wondered. So I like to like to give it a lot, but we have an awesome, awesome show lined up for you. We're going to talk public stakes in oil companies. And if, and if your head's exploding, mine is too. So don't worry. Um, we have a great week back in the week of energy. We've got some excellent news stories. Um, 300,000 barrels looks like they're going to be coming off per day in May and June. Personally, a little too, uh, I think it's a little too little too late, but we'll check that out. Saudi crude is being shipped back to Saudi. Stu's going to come at us from the international news deck and has some crazy stats when it comes to Shell's dividends. Obviously, we're going to take a look at the levels for the week. If you're a bull, you actually, I think you actually see some good news if you're a bull on oil. Bears, eh, there's just a lot of volume to the downside, but like I said, we'll get into it. EIA numbers come out. Really, we're shocking. And obviously, we'll check in with our official, non-official fund and look at how our picks are doing. But before that, we just need to do a little bit of clerical work, please, guys. If you're not subscribed to this show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, please, please do it. It's the best way to stay up to date on everything 360 Digital Closing Bell. If you're not subscribed to Entercom on Twitter, please do that. On LinkedIn, Oil and Gas 360, Entercom. Follow me, me Michael Tanner, uh, and Stuart Turley as well. It's the best way. If you follow all four of those, you will never miss anything that we put out. And I promise you the content we are putting out is gold. We have great new interviews that are also dropping on the Energy 360 Network, one with Adam Atene Henry and Tisha Schuler That dropped um, last week. Gregory Wrightstone, who's an Amazon best-selling author when it comes to climate science. We dropped him. We also dropped a great interview with some of the research people at Spool. You can now finally hear the whole interview. I know last episode, I gave away some an interesting uh, uh, fact from that about traffic consumption, which actually was confirmed. I was on another, I was on another webinar with Reistad Energy earlier, which Really, the only interesting thing I got out of that was some demand numbers, but we can get into that again later. Um, Sproul, it was a great interview with them. Um, please check that out on the Energy 360 Network. We also will be dropping Premier Oil Field Group and CAC Specialties next week. Um, you can actually check out. We have a little. We're starting to shoot commercials for those now, so those are they're, they're pretty fun. So you can check out all of that at www.oilandgas360.com. Did I miss anything, Sue? Is there anything else we need to let people know about what's going on? Uh, boy, I think you got it all covered. But, I, you know, it's kind of funny, uh, just as a hair uh, side note here, uh, we were contacted by the Chinese uh, broadcasting group. because No, we weren't. No, yeah, we are big, bad, and worldwide. They wanted to interview us based off of our oil and gas in-depth knowledge. Of well, I guess going. we're going to have to start doing the show in Mandarin then. I'll have to start. I, we need to... Can, can we, uh, can we, I'm, I'll, I'll get Rosetta Stone. Can we get that as a chargeback? Can we get that like budget approval for Rosetta Stone? Absolutely. We'll start doing two shows, one in English and then one in Mandarin. We'll do it right after. We are trans, another interesting thing though, that, that before we get into it is we're starting to transcribe the show now. So you can yes. start being to see all of the transcriptions from the show. And it'll be very interesting. I, 
you know, I don't know if any of you have noticed, but I talk kind of fast. And uh, um, sometimes I can guarantee that transcription is going to get a little nuts. So um, I'm excited to start seeing those come out. It's called the, the Michael Tanner charge. Uh, they're having to charge extra just to keep up with you. Yeah, they have to have a physical human reading it. But, um, <laughs> but no, I just want to kind of move into the show now. And, and really the first big thing I want to look at, and, and really I think the biggest thing that is, is, is bothering people and is going to move forward is, is the idea that, the, that that was really floated today. It was in a Bloomberg article that was actually repurposed by World Oil. Gotta love places like oilandgas360.com and places like, I don't want to name the competitors, even though I just did another one, taking articles that you didn't only have to pay for on Bloomberg when your free article limit is up and they push them to a central feed and so you can read them. So that's one reason why you should follow Oil and Gas 360. I mean, you can see articles that you just necessarily can't see unless you have a Bloomberg subscription. This was originally a Bloomberg article that talks about really the update on what the Trump administration is thinking about on how to help the oil and gas field. I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody listening to this knows it's been a really tough time and uh, for the oil and gas field. Obviously, Saudi Russia um, was the big thing that happened, but also the demand. I mean, like I said, I was on that um, a webinar with Rystad Energy this morning, and, and really the only interesting thing I got out of that, um, besides some interesting coronavirus demand numbers, which I thought was actual oil demand numbers because of coronavirus, they have it at about 28 million barrels, but they have it pulling back pretty quickly. And really, they only show about five to 8 million barrels being taken off when it comes to the end of um, the year, which actually I think is really good. I would consider, I mean, that's talking, you're going now down to only a 5 million of a million a day barrel gap. I mean, it's at 28 right now. So that's 23 million barrels that they expect to come back within a year, which obviously is going to really, really help the oil and gas because that's what's hurting us right now. The, the 2 million barrels that Saudi and Russia tried to flood the market with, that's like bringing a, it's bringing like a water gun to a shootout bringing a little water gun to a, a high noon shootout. It's like, oh, look what I got. When you got, dude, there's got a Colt 44. It's about to blow your brains out. So really, you know, that's what's hurting us. And so part of why I think you're seeing a lot of stuff come out about, well, well what's going to happen to oil and gas is because, you know, for a long time, it's been suffering. It's been suffering before all this stuff hit, but it's only been exacerbated. And as we know, hundreds of thousands of people have been laid off. And if you are one of those people that have been laid off, our, we know that our hearts, and I know I speak for Stu when I say this, our hearts go out to you. That is never a position that needs to happen. And, and unfortunately, it's been on the service side, right? It's not really the EMP companies who, when we get into this plan that Trump has to announce um, on how he's going to help the oil and gas industry, I don't think it addresses, and that's, you know, I don't think it addresses the biggest part, which is the service companies who've been hit really hard. So, um, you know, so, 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 you know, to kind of just get into it, basically there's, there's, you know, originally, as we all know, back when this whole started and then the virus happened, there was the opportunity for the SPR to buy about 3 billion barrels worth of oil, fill it up. And it was actually going to be a strategic petroleum reserve purchase of oil. And they were going to store it in the reserve. Well, that got axed in the first, you know, wave of the coronavirus stuff. Everyone got 1200 bucks, but we couldn't figure out how to get $3 billion, which when you look at the deficit we're running right now, um, is a drop in the bucket. We couldn't get that just to fill up the SPR. So beyond me, how? But 
So whatever way, we couldn't get that figured out. And, and, and we basically, the, you know, the, the free market has really driven this market to where it has been today. There's been no government intervention. Pretty much every single industry, airlines have seen a bailout. Multiple other industries have seen specific bailouts. We're actually um, on a Haynes and Boone call where they went over the traditional main lending programs uh, about, about what's available to small businesses in terms of economic relief due to coronavirus. But now what's getting floated out, and this article dropped yesterday, so this is going to be Wednesday, 429, and what they talked about was the plans that are being floated by President Trump on what should be done to the oil and gas industry. It's sort of the final, as you know, the news has been putting it, the final industry that needs to get checked off, and there's a couple things that, they, that, they're, that they're being floated, and I want to kind of dive into them a little bit and then give just sort of my high-arching thoughts on, on, on where I think it all is going. So the first thing that's being proposed is, well, there's really two high-level things being proposed. One, loan programs and SPR storage. Under loan programs, you're seeing two options being floated, one of them being bridge loans and the second being emergency lending. And the goal is to try to push that to small and medium-sized businesses. And basically what that looks like is um, the, 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 the government right now is there's this main lending program that every small business, it's like under, again, this is a you know, shameless plug to the Haynes and Boone weekly energy tracker. Um, their energy practice guys did a great job last week or, or last week, last Wednesday. So yesterday or no Tuesday, it's Tuesday every week, right? Yes. Tuesday every week. It's Tuesday. So is this Tuesday, they did a great job of going over actually the details of what each of these lending programs look like. And really there's the PPE, which everyone talks about, which is the payment protection program. There's this main lending program that is available to people who don't, businesses who don't qualify under the payment. And then there's other, they've, they've set it up other lending devices. And really what the government is doing right now is they're evaluating whether or not oil and gas companies fit into that. And there's a lot of specifics in this that make this interesting because Right now, you can't use, the, whether it's the main lending economic disaster program, whether it's the normal program that they have for um, disaster relief, or it's the payment protection program, none of that money can be allowed to resurface debt. And right now, that's what's killing the oil and gas field, is they would use this money to repay existing debt. Well, clearly, you don't want that. If you're, if you're the government, you don't want to be loaning someone money that they're just going to use to pay down debt. You ideally want them to keep people employed, not lay people off. And so that's partly why they're working through some issues here because they understand the biggest issue in the oil and gas field is debt. And so that's where you see these bridge loans and emergency lendings. And the goal is to get it to companies that need it and can't get access to capital. I mean, the, 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 the majors, I mean, we're talking about BP, Shell, all of these, you know, BPX now, excuse me, they're, they're a subsidiary. Um, not spun off, you know, Chevron, Exxon, these people have access and have good enough credits, have access to capital. They can go out and you know, all of them have gone out and restructured it. Small to mid-sized companies don't. So that's partly why that's where you're seeing them take their time and figure out, okay, do any of these small businesses, do any, small business, and I'm doing that in quotes for the podcast, small oil companies, do they qualify for payment protection or any of the main lending programs? And if they don't, how can we give them give them money. And that's basically what's being floated by as one. So that's sort of high level part one. There's going, they're, they're talking about giving some sort of economic relief package in some way to directly to oil and gas companies. The second thing they're doing is they're really still looking at SPR stores. But what they're doing is they're not looking at it from a filling up perspective, because if you really get it, get into the numbers on what it would take to fill up the SPR Really, you, there, there's already about nine companies who have agreed to fill up the SPR to its uh, complete maximum. It, you know, according to Undersecretary 
um, of energy. Basically, the, the SPR is mission ready to do about 685,000 barrels per day. The problem is it's sour. It's, it's not the good stuff. It's not the crude that we have a glut of. It's it's sour crude. It holds a lot of um, crude that comes from Louisiana and a lot of these other areas where, to be honest with you, the production wasn't that high. We have so much light, sweet crude sitting at Cushing and sitting in all of these other reserves that cannot be shipped down to the SPR to be stored because you just can't mix those types. You would just completely destroy the blends. So it doesn't really solve the issue, in my opinion, to fill it up. And that's why they've moved on to this even spicier option of SPR storage. And you know, follow me on this one. What they're going to do is they're going to buy undeveloped oil reserves. They're going to buy from a company undeveloped oil reserves and claim them as U.S. strategic petroleum reserves, which is a absolutely crazy idea. Not a crazy idea, but basically it's if you're an oil operator, you're going to get paid not to drill. It's almost like crop rotation when it comes to farmers. You have to rotate your crops not only for your soil, but certain times of year, the government subsidizes you not to grow soybeans because we have so much. Can I ask a question? Yes. If, if they get money for doing this, right? If they get money for doing this and they go out of business, what happens? Well, I think that's sort of the point. I, I mean, that, that movie, now we can, so I mean, so, so you, you bring up a, you know, with all of this, Stu brings up a great point. So what does this mean? You know, we're looking at paying oil companies not to drill. What? Seems crazy. We're already filling up the SPR. We're going to give bridge loans and emergency lending to oil and gas companies. What? What does this mean? And, 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 and really not what does it mean, but, but, but it, it's really what do you believe in? And in, in my opinion, I think this is a terrible idea. I mean, really, I think the people who are pushing for this in a, in a really hard are industry insiders who hold massive long equity positions in these large companies. They're not the only people that want this because, you know, let's just be real here. Shale oil companies in the past eight years haven't produced one single free cash flow statement on a 10K. And if they have, it's been lost in a sea of losses and reinvestment and stock buybacks. And let's be real, ex large executive compensation programs. So who's to really say that when you give these companies, um, these shale oil companies who are hurting the most, just more money that they're not going to continue to do the same thing that they've done, pay off debt, restructure their companies, increase bonuses, and buy assets at extremely high cost. I'm not, I, you know, so excuse me for being skeptical that I think this money is actually going to get utilized to what I talked about in the beginning, which is service companies. I mean, really what, who's laying off people is service companies. I, I, I have multiple, you know, I would just call our school of mines, which is a really large petroleum engineering um, school. I, I, you don't know how many people I know that they're getting laid off from those companies. It's, it is really, really sad to see. Those are the companies that need some sort of direct lending. It's not your, your shale oil companies. And we don't need to name names because we don't need to. But if you're on EF, if you're on ETF Twitter, there's names being named. So you can get, you can get all the names you want and all the inside information you want. But, you know, and, and so that's how I see this. I think the way we're approaching this from a bridge loan from a loan standpoint and from an SPR standpoint, yes, we have to do something. I, I, I don't think we can stand idle, but giving loans to oil and gas companies to pay off debt who have originally, who have no, who have just, who, who have, who have no, Ill, who, 
I guess what I'm trying to, who have no inclination that they're going to change their direction. I mean, you want to, I mean, th this brings up a very interesting article that I, article I read on Reuters. And this is, we're going to start doing a new segment. I think we're going to call it what reporter of the week. Should we, can we call it reporter of the week? Is that fine, Stu? Uh, fake news, fake news reporter. Well, no, this is a real, this is a real art. Unfortunately, it's not fake. It's a real article by someone at Reuters. I'm not going to call out the person's name, but just know this was an article that got written on Reuters. It was talking about Chesapeake and, you know, and I'm just going to read it in all its glory and you will let you, the listener, decide. And this is a, this is, this is a quote I'm starting to read. Chesapeake was trying to pivot from gas to a greater emphasis on oil production when the Saudi-Russian energy price war earlier this year upended its plans and the wider crude oil market. It was dealt another blow by the coronavirus outbreak, which caused energy demand to dwindle by studying large swaths of the global economy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great investigative researching. So you're telling me that if it wasn't for Saudi-Russian price war and the coronavirus outbreak, Chesapeake would have been great. Who knew? Oh. Brilliant. Let's, that needs to be pushed out on oil and gas 360. Get that one up on there. Um, so, so yeah, Sidetracks. So who's to think Chesapeake's now going to get a bailout from these bridge loaning programs and they're going to spend it wisely. <laughs> I just, I'm skeptical. Your thoughts too. Uh, you I, I, I've ranted. I've, 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 I've got myself too worked up at this point. You, you have anything on this? Cause I mean, public stakes in oil companies. I mean, really that's what it comes down to. It's not really, they're not taking equity positions or at least they haven't talked about it yet, but I mean, that's really what this is going towards you. What are your thoughts on this? I, I believe in the free market and I'm very scared because you just brought up a good point is they haven't talked about it yet, but there are other uh, government officials out there right now talking about wanting to put um, uh, ownership into company energy companies, not just oil and gas, but just energy companies. And it's kind of frightening uh, to think of the government controlling energy. That's the backbone. Yeah. And, and well, that's one thing. And, 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 and so, yeah, that would be, that would not be a, I mean, do I think that, you know, the problem I don't think is this administration, it's another administration. It's, it's, exactly. it's, it's not, you know, I think people are, when people look or are looking at public states, it was like, well, yeah, sure. You know, this administration and, and then generally the Republican party is more in favor of oil and gas will probably be lenient, but, but, but who's to say a, a, a Democrat or, or a third party candidate who is against energy wins, say either in 2020 or 2024, it's going to be, it's not only going to be pro-energy people that occupy the White House. So who's to say when that person comes in, they don't be able to decimate it because now they have stakes in companies. They're sitting on, I mean, the president's sitting on the board. Well, try this one on. Uh, George W. Bush uh, put in with the uh, ethanol and that program uh, was absolutely, have you ever tried to run ethanol in a car and have it as a good thing? Ethanol is not good for the engines. So no, and, and that brings up something that people should watch. And I, I know you want to bring it, so I'm going to let you do that. Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, well, this is just, this was forwarded to us by a colleague, Dan Genovese, who's the director of consulting um, at Entercom. It was a YouTube video that we were actually shooting a commercial for an interview that uh, the CAC, I'm pretty sure it was CAC, who we were shooting an interview for. And he sent us, it's the new, I'm going to let you describe it, but it was, it's a, it's a Michael Moore documentary. And it was an hour and 40 minutes of extremely captivating stuff on renewables. That's all. And, and we're even going to try to get Michael Moore on the show. 
uh, we, so should, we have to serious entertainment we're bands reaching out to him right now and, well, we would give uh, and see this is where like i'll say we're gonna send him this we would give him a fair shake like this is not got we're not we wouldn't play gotcha journalism i mean i'm not a journalist so i don't even like to say that because i'm not a journalist i just ask questions so like we're not gonna you know we're it's gonna be because really this i mean i don't want to spoil your overview but this was just a crazy crazy uh movie uh, well, uh, just real quick, uh, just like a lot of our uh, folks have said, we like hearing both sides. There's two sides to every story. Mm -hmm. And then it's not necessarily uh, saying, hey, one's right or wrong. I like having all the data, like a lot of our clients. The, this, the, the thing on Michael Moore is just nutty. He got, Michael so the, the movie was called Planet of the Humans. And what was like, can you give, just give the listeners idea? Like, what was, what's like a third? Oh, he was going there? after all of the uh, um, renewable energy, the battery, solar. Uh, uh, he went nutty on these guys. And I, that's something that I just would not have expected from Michael Moore. Yeah, I mean, his, his thesis is, is pretty clear. He's not, it's not a pro fossil fuels movie, but it's definitely anti renewable energy. And, 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 kind of echoes a lot of stuff people in the energy industry has been saying for a long time is that, you know, really creating wind farms in the, in, in the aggregate generate and produce more and require more energy use, which comes from coal, natural gas and crude oil. than if you would just continue to just use crude oil and natural gas to heat, I mean, it's really fascinating. He goes hard at the environmentalists. You can see it on YouTube. It's called planet of the humans. It had over like four and a half million views. And it, it's getting, it's getting a lot of, it was crazy. I didn't even know this drop. I didn't know it was coming. Um, so uh, highly recommend watching that. We, are we going to get that repurposed on oil and gas 360? Can they watch it there or just, we just push them to the YouTube? Oh, just push it to that YouTube. You and I are going to have a special on it. So uh, we are going to do our own special and uh, we're going to try to do our own because it brings up a really good, uh, analyzation uh, that we're doing on so I, this is personal opinion two and a half seconds let me rant and I think that energy poverty and um, uh, has a energy it has an all 100% relationship mm -hmm. and we have to be good stewards of the environment Let's take Governor Como. I ranted on this the other day. Why are we shutting down a perfectly good nuclear reactor that's already paid for? Yeah. It's being run safe. Why? A balanced uh, approach to power through hydroelectric, through natural gas, through nuclear is the right way to go. Sorry, I ranted. I totally no, know. you're allowed to rant. I love it. And I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, that, again, we'll save all that stuff for, for the special, um, for, for, well, it's, it's like a, uh, it's almost like a, well, you all got to watch the movie. Then we'll have a recap podcast on it. Um, we'll oh yeah. A recast podcast. But, um, and we got a little sidetrack. All I think this is to say is that public stakes and oil companies, yikes. I'm not convinced if these loans were given, they're even going to be spent wisely and you're going to see people retained. I think the majority of people getting laid off are in the service industry. So we'll see. I think I'm, you know, this SPR storage stuff could be interesting. I, I, 
again, me and Stu, I think we're on the same page. We're free market guys. And I'm, and I'm generally skeptical whenever I hear the government's going to get involved. That being said, I think we need to check out kind of the main stories that happened specifically in energy last week. But before we do that, I see to tell you about our friends at Sandstone Capital Group. These guys do insanely good research. They provide levels, all of the levels and all of the research that you see in this podcast, they provide it via their Energy Glimpse solution. These guys are rock solid. They're actually going to be starting to write some articles for oilandgas360.com. We've got them onboarded as a contributor, so it'll be really fun to see. If you want to check out what they can do, go to sandstonecg.com or give them a call 949-561-1818. All right. My stories for the week, really, this was a prediction that, you know, really the big thing, you know, from a trading side, I predicted three weeks ago, I, I mentioned this on my LinkedIn page yesterday, um, that I was expecting three to 400,000 barrels that would be taken off the market these past three weeks. And it's been completely wrong. Only about 100,000 barrels have been taken off each week. And there was this uh, news article that dropped on oil and gas 360.com this morning that talked, that talked about Rystat Energy specifically mentioned that they are projecting now May and June to have the 300,000 barrels per week or, uh, you know, per day on a weekly rolling average basis be pulled off. You know, I think it's too little too late. Um, I was calling for this a week early, you know, a couple weeks earlier. Clearly it was along deaf ears, but it is hard to shut in stuff. And that's actually on Monday, we're going to be running a segment with a, we have a new guest um, and I'll, I can tease this segment a little bit. He's a, a reservoir engineer with a really large, large uh, operator in Texas. And really what his expertise is, is he's, he's, he's working through right now, what wells do we shut in and what wells don't we? And he's going to kind of walk him through, you know, what is a corporation and from a corporate level thinking about that. So really, I think what, you, what you're seeing and reflected in that number is what Brett's going to talk about is they finally worked through, all right, what wells are we shutting off? Which ones do we think are going to turn back on more efficiently? Which ones do we think, you know, you know, cause you don't want to, you know, the shale wells, your high producing shale wells you drilled last year are probably going to come on much quicker, but that's going to cost you a little more than if you just shut in, say, you know, as we mentioned in the last podcast, majority of wells in the country produce less than hundred barrels a day. There's no guarantee you shut that well and it comes back on. So how do you, you know, range that? And, you know, Nick Barry gave us the great, um, analogy of would you rather park a Ferrari in the garage or have 200 clunkers sitting in your junkyard? And that's basically the difference between maybe some of these stripper wells and these new high core shows. I make the argument like I'd rather shut in my Kia Fitz, nice little mid-sized sedan. So I think that's really what you're going to see. And that, that, that would be my recommendation. It, it, you know, if someone asked me, you know, let's take your mid-range performing wells, shut that portfolio. And you want to keep your small base on because you want to make sure that doesn't go away because eventually price is going to rebound and we're going to be able to, you know, we're going to pump back up to 12 point, you know, we're going to get above 12 million barrels of oil production per day from the U S don't worry. We'll be back. We'll, we'll all make the same mistake again. So you can keep those wells on, shut your mid-range down. And, and maybe keep your high cap on, but it'd be very interesting to see what um, what our source says. And you will hear from him Monday. Another shameless plug. The other article that I just that, that dropped, and really the other news item that I thought was interesting, dropped yesterday via Reuters. And this is something that I heard actually on when on Tuesday, Wednesday, and it was very interesting to see it recorded in Reuters. Was that physical traders in the U.S. are now stopping incoming Saudi oil tankers that they've already pay, allocated to come in. They're turning them back around. So these, these are not, this is not storage floating on the, on, on the Atlantic right now. This is, they had already purchased them and it designated for physical delivery. They're now turning them back and saying, make the trip. That's expensive. These things, these VLCCs as they call them, this is what these big tankers are. They're running like 200,000 a day. 
That's a large chunk of change. That's as much as an offshore drilling rig, if not more. So I was, I was, you know, not shocked. I, I wasn't shocked to hear that, but it, it, it's, you know, it's uh, the, the economics are just getting absolutely destroyed and people are eating, you know, millions of dollars to just send this crew back. That's what's crazy. How, how that journey is like four days. They, it makes that journey. So we're talking, that's, that's a cool mill. Cool 800,000 to a million, depending on staff costs, that just to not take inventory. And uh, not to mention the uh, pollution and pounds of cargo, I mean, excuse me, pounds of um, uh, CO2 that are put out. Uh, for Gregory's useful. a fan, though. Gregory's a fan. Oh, I, yeah. So, but, you know, think about useless uh, materials being wasted. Now, a lot of waste, a lot of waste, and... Uh, it's just, it's just interesting. I mean, it, it makes sense. Freight crosses are high, but it's just crazy. All right, international news decks time. Stu, what do we got? Well, I thought it was kind of funny. Shell uh, chunked out uh, this morning. Uh, let me get to there. Oh, yeah, I it saw was, this. Yeah, there's two, there's two stories, just real quickly. I uh, got to give a shout-out to uh, our governor in Texas, um, uh, Greg Abbott, Governor Abbott, he uh, did a good job this morning. Uh, we're opening up tomorrow. But the ESG point of this, you brought up yesterday on our uh, call, um, let me get there right here, uh, with uh, Perker, uh, mm -hmm. Perkin Elmer. You talked about that yesterday. You know, the stock market went up, everybody loved it. And uh, Everybody, but everybody, everybody, but the 34 million people who got laid off this week. That's a whole nother rant we could do. Okay. Sorry for ranting on that, but no, the oil and gas industry and the energy industry need to take a note of Perkin Elmer in the fact that they are, they ooze ESG and ESG is going to, the people, the oil and energy companies that survive will ooze ESG. Sorry, that's, I just need to use that as an example. That was one no, of the No, it's true. And I mean, that's what, you know, we chatted with Tisha about in our interview is that this stuff is going to be, it's at the institutional level, ESG in, has not only become important over the past six months, even in the post-COVID-19 disaster, it's still going to be important because, I mean, People, government's going to take public stakes in oil companies. You know there's going to be some stipulations about how that's going to get spent on ESG. You know that's going to get written in there by these, by, by, by you know, the Democrats. And, and what's just amazing is there's two important people that are taking notes of ESG. Okay. Are you ready? Are you sitting mm -hmm. now? Okay. Consumer. I am. I'll just pour more coffee. Okay. Uh, consumers. Okay. Uh, the generations are now really paying attention to um, what they buy and if the company mm -hmm. has good ESG plans. The next is folks that invest in companies are paying attention to an ESG corporation and plan. Anybody not hearing that story need to wake up. The other one that I wanted to visit with is the oil uh, uh, Shell slashes dividend for the first time since World War II. That is World War II. World War II. You want to go over that? Uh, we have to bring Tomcat in to get our perspective on. That's the, probably the only person we know in our portfolio who, who is 
who was uh, at least could preach about that. Whew. Oh, yeah. Um, unbelievable. I mean, this is a, a, um, a bellwether stock for retirement funds. That it's an integrated. Been. It's in everything. So yeah. why it, 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 it's literally, it has the, it's vertically integrated. It has a upstream, a down, a midstream, and a downstream. They have gas, they have a marketing company. They have gas stations. I mean, I guess they're all, they're getting hurt revenue wise, but when those type of companies vertically integrated across the value chain as good as an integrated, that's why they're called IOCs, um, integrated oil companies, whoo, deadly. You bet. That's crazy. Anything else we need to be watching out for news-wise that happened last week? That's kind of, I think we've hit everything. That was everything I wanted to get to. It's everything. I, there's so much more, but I think we hit the high points. It's like, holy cow, Batman. Exactly. And really, you know, to, to stay up to date on a daily basis with everything that's going on in the oil and gas finance space, this is another shameless book. Follow the daily ticker on YouTube, uh, the 360 digital close. We do a daily ticker every single day. We're live on YouTube and we'd love to actually see you pop in and watch us live. I, we will do this. We were talking today inside baseball. We have a bunch of shirts. We're trying to push merch. And we don't quite know how that works, but I promise you this, you, someone watches our digital closing bell, digital ticker live on YouTube, leave a comment during the show. I will personally mail you a shirt. I'll eat the shipping cost. Um, Cause that would be cool. I'd love some live listeners. Oh, absolutely. But you know, it's kind of fun. Uh, no, hey. it's been good. So it's the best way to stay updated on all the new stuff. We really, what we do here is we just try to hit the high points and keep you up to date because really what we need to do is dive into the levels for the week. And bull week, bulls won this week. That's about all I'll say. I've, you know, for, for everyone who's watching the last dance, net, uh, ESPN Netflix thing that came out, the bulls are winning, baby. We saw uh, oil start out this week um, really um, on a, you know, dip down all the way to $10, but has ripped up all the way to about $17, currently trading about $16.65. It'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow morning. Obviously, you'll be listening to this Friday morning. It is Thursday afternoon, so give us a little bit and spare us if news drops. As remember, all of these levels are continued upon. No Trump tweets, nothing insane. You know, he, he could tweet right now that we've started a, an international war with every single Middle Eastern country, and oil will probably be 30 bucks, and all of our positions would be going crazy. Now, he's probably not going to do that, but just be wary. Anything in this day and age can be can be a tweet, can change everything. So when I look at that, here's what I see for the Bulls. 1793 is probably your first level to the upside. And then really what you see is a huge gap between 1790 or really 18 and that next chunk. Because remember what happened about 10 days ago. We were trading in the 20s. And remember when it dropped down and did that first initial pivot? Well, it lost that. $2 chunk right there. So if you're looking at it from a volume perspective, not quite sure where, where it has to go. And, you know, part of what kind of confirms that to me is actually here about 20 minutes before this podcast started, oil peaked at uh, 1862. But then what did it do? It immediately ripped back down underneath one. Well, there just wasn't enough volume there. All the volume is sitting between 1793 and really $12.14. There's much more volume to the downside than the upside. So, so when, you're, when you're looking at, oh, I think this is a gap in the market. I think, hey, if it reaches this, it's going to run. Watch that. That's a great signal that it, it couldn't, it broke. 
and it ran up a little bit. It ran up past into our no volume zone. But what it do? It immediately came back down. And if you look at the relative amount of volume that was traded from 1783 all the way up to 1862, comparative to what's on the downside, it doesn't even compare. Now that's also because it didn't stay there long, but that gives you an idea of how all of that volume is formed. But if you're still a bull, $2, you know, 2042, I think it's your next stop up. If you see anything spike, if some positive news comes out, 2205, 2295 is good. And then again, you see another nice $2 volume gap to 2507. I like to give you guys four or five levels. Do I think $25 is, is, is what's going to happen next week? I don't know. Probably not. Probably not what's going to happen, but you never know. I honestly, I didn't think it'd be 17 bucks at the end of this week i would have thought you would have been 12 so okay hey the amazing kreskin okay you ready yeah the amazing kreskin okay oil price next week 1985 average next week okay we'll write that down we'll put that in the portfolio as we will get up to um so obviously Stu's a bear and he's gonna and he's actually talking about a break of the volume which i really like 1885 i love it um or 1985, excuse me. Um, but if you are a bear, and I mean, not to be the um, not to be the sad guy on the show, but I'm going to take the bearish stance this week. I this, there's just too much volume to the downside. I think 1703 is your first level down. 1523 is another big, big, big chunk. 1408, 1247. But really, there's just a lot of volume to the downside. And I know I've continued to hound on that. But if there's one thing you take away from this segment more volume on the downside than the upside if you put your pivot where it is now at about 16 uh, 1650 when we look at EIA as again I've been getting my shorts eaten on DOE trades week after week after week I finally put it out on LinkedIn yesterday it was like everyone just know my losses because I've been getting shorts eaten I've been baking in 3 to 400,000 dollars being taken off of domestic production being taken off the market each of these weeks and that is not what happened there was only 100,000 barrels that get taken off the market and they brings us down to 12.1 million barrels per day. Those numbers drop at 8.30 mountain time on, a, on every single Wednesday. It's the DOE crude inventory numbers. Crude stocks came in at 9 million, which was comparative to about 11 million, which was good. Cushion crude stocks, actual cushion crude stocks were up 3.6 million barrels to 63.4 um, million barrels. So that gives us, it's about 90 million barrels storage up there. So we're you know, to give you an idea, we're about 36, or, you know, 26 million barrels away. So it'd be very interesting to see what happens there. I, again, I got, I, I'm done. I, I'm going to continue to trade the DOE inventory day, but I am now going to have to pull back. Cause right now I'm going to start expecting, now I'm going to expect 150, 200,000 next week. And it's going to be like 400,000 and just, it's going to kill me after I spent the whole time knocking these rice dad guys, um, for giving me false info. Um, but I think that has that, that's about everything with, with with oil last week. I mean, that's really sort of your main oil finance news items. As obviously, if there's anything else you want us to cover, please let me know. But Stu, are we missing anything before we move on um, to our final segment? Nope. Nope. We're good. I love it. Well, I think what we do is go ahead now and move in to our final segment, which is our 360 digital closing bell fund and our picks for the week. But first, our lawyers make us say this so we do not get sued. This segment is for entertainment purposes only. Everybody on this show, i.e. Michael Tanner and Stuart Turley, invests for our own account, and we do not manage any outside money. We do not give investment advice. We do not offer securities or have any involvement in the regulatory side of the industry. Remember, investing is risky, and you can lose your entire principal, especially if you're trading gold futures right now. They're down heavy. I know a lot of people who are in at 1900 bucks on gold futures. 
Um, just another a side note, you know, a little different than what we're talking about. But um, as you know, last week we set up our first official, non-official 360 fund. We're still looking for a fund name. So if you have any great suggestions, please email me, mtanner.com, If we take your suggestion, I will personally mail you a shirt that says, do these rigs make my assets look big? I promise you, it's written on the back. It says really big. Do these rigs make my assets look big? Unbelievable. All right, Stu, your picks last week, how'd they do? Uh, I'm up in LNG, uh, actually doing pretty well. Unfortunately, uh, they're 4731 right now. Apache, I'm down. Uh, it's kind of remaining flat where I where I did get in. So uh, as a portfolio, I'm kind of like flat. Well, that's good. Hey, flat's fine. And that's why we take out multiple positions. As we know, everyone, last week, I took out 65 shares of Bonanza Creek at 1489. It's been a good week for Bonanza Creek. Currently trading 1686, up about 4% from what we were going. It's been great for Bonanza Creek. And honestly, I was just looking at it from a technical standpoint. So we don't need to get no financials that drop. Nothing had really come out. I did take out a portfolio hedge for us. I figured we've been sitting on all these interviews by experts from Quorum, um, from Spruill, from Enverness, to all these different experts we've had on the 360, or the Energy 360 Network. They've been saying natural gas is going to be 350. I found a dip, and I bought us a futures contract. It costed about 1700 bucks, but we got in at $1.82. Natural gas currently about $1.91. I really don't necessarily see it dropping below that. So we're up about six, 800 bucks on that, which is great to see from a monetary standpoint. And I figured everyone's been preaching to us, Stu, we, we, natural gas is going to be huge. Well, let's, I'm right, putting my money where our mouth is. We'll pull out a little hedge position. It sure makes a lot of sense. We've been, uh, we talked to Premier Oil Field Group and we talked about how to shut in wells, how to, how you got to have experts. Uh, a lot of wells are being So what did you in. hear? That's a good thing. What did you hear from, because you were on that interview I wasn't and it hasn't dropped yet, but you know, we're going to run in a segment Monday on this show about a reservoir, you know, from a reservoir engineer on his perspective on shutting in wells. Was there any interesting nuggets you took from that interview? Absolutely. And when you were talking about shutting in wells, there's a little bit of a difference. A, get an expert. B, mm. um, I that's, didn't why bring, that's why we bring them in. That's why we bring them in. Uh, I didn't realize that there was such a parent-child relationship in the dilution of uh, when you shut it in, the fluids come back in from the frack mm -hmm. and then it changes the whole dynamics of the fluid coming out. So when you fire up a well again, coming back out of being shut down, you are going to have a lower, per, you could have a lower production count of good oil versus other fluids that are in there. And it's because the uh, fluids change when they're held in stagnation. Gotta have experts. Thought it was pretty cool. That's awesome. I think that's um, really interesting. And you know, that's and that's sort of what I think. I think our, our, our the friend of the show. I don't want to give his name away quite yet in case we can't get him Monday. He's actually been trying to apply inside baseball. He's been trying to apply to grad school, and he's been having interviews with different business schools like via Zoom. And so we haven't been able to schedule a call yet. But we'll get him on. Trust me, because he's got some really interesting thoughts, and he's kind of going to go going to lay out from a high level what his sort of company strategies. He's just he's got it okay by the the powers that be, I guess. 
So it'll be really cool. But no, you bring up a very interesting point when you talk about the way you shut in these wells and that parent-child relationship. And you know, now we're getting way out of my realm. So I can't wait to cut up the premier oil field interview because that's why I love cutting up these interviews. I get to see them before everybody else. But I'm, I'm only, I'm on, I'm on about 60% of them, which is nice because then I get to hear the information real time because again, more inside baseball. We're about we do about a week turnover. So if you are a sponsor and you're looking to come on for an interview, we do about a week turnaround from when you sh we shoot it to when we cut it up and we push it all out and we get it up to upload to all of our channels. And it's really considering the amount of work that and amount of availability that this, that these interviews have, the fact that it's, you know, a five day turnaround, five business day turnaround is actually incredible when you think about it. So. And the traction I, we're getting, dude. Oh, the traction, is un, traction has been unbelievable. So just to wrap up, Stu's portfolio, even on the week, I'm up big. Natural gas is our hedge, as that's the new position we took out. Um, Tomcat, he, you know, that's the one thing we forgot. Tomcat, how he's looking. He's been, a, he's a loyal trader on the show. Yeah, uh, he got out of just, he's got a feeling. He got out of just about everything he was doing, and he's hanging on to a lot of cash right now. He's kind of got a feeling on uh, what's going on in the market, and I uh, kind of respect that. Take your chips back, make your money, hold on for another day. No, oh, and sometimes waiting in the waters is the best way to do it. But I've pretty much got everything that I've got. This is, I don't know how long we went here. I don't have the time up, but um, I got a lot off my chest this episode. This has been as therapeutic, hopefully, as it has been entertaining. It's been fun for me listening to you rant, Michael. I love it. So with that, we're going to go ahead and let you guys get back to work. Check out us tomorrow on the 360 digital ticker on the closing bell email. And please subscribe at www.theoilandgas360.com. We'll see you tomorrow for the digital ticker.